Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday morning, the 2nd of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Members of Meath County Council have voted in favour of co-opting Amanda Smith to fill the last seat remaining since the election on the 24th of May. She will now take a seat as an independent councillor. Miss Smith did not stand as a candidate. Her election comes as a result of how Sharon Kogan stood in two electoral areas and won a seat in both the Laytown Bettystown area and the Ashburn electoral area as well. Despite being elected twice in the two separate areas, Sharon Kogan can only fill one seat. Amanda Smith was nominated to take the second seat by Kogan and she has enjoyed the support of the majority of councillors. Let's uh, talk about this uh, first of all with Sharon Kogan, independent councillor on Meath County Council. A very good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us here this morning. I suppose it was a coronation of sorts, uh, but why did you choose Miss Smith? Right. Um, good morning to you and good morning to your listeners. Um, the reason that I've chosen Miss Smith is very simple. And um, I obviously would look for someone that has got the same ethos in relation to work and work ethic um, with regard to public service and serving the public and being there for the public. And Amanda has that. Amanda's originally from Stamullen. Our family are born and bred and remain there today. They're very heavily involved in the GAA. Amanda would have worked alongside major infrastructural projects with me, like the Dalit Courthouse, uh, the CCTV, which we implemented in Dalit and Denor, and the Dalit Revival Programme. She's also uh, a director of Dalit uh, Childcare. Um, so Amanda has vast experience. Um, she knows what's expected of her. We will open that office there in Stamullen to serve the public. And at the end of the day, that is what the people want. People want someone that's going to work on the ground with them. I have done that there for the last five years, despite not being ele- uh, elected there. And the people came out to support me and the people will come out to support Amanda. And I know that. Um, and I will be alongside her to give her 100 uh, percent support in this role for the next five years. As you have done so already. Uh, yeah. when, when, when did Amanda Smith uh, become interested, first interested in, in taking public office? 
Well, to be quite honest, uh, you know, most most people don't uh, say, wake up one day and uh, think they're going to be a county councillor. Um, and I'm sure Joe didn't think that, or uh, Tommy Ryan didn't think that when 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 the, the the opportunity came knocking for them, then they decided, yes, well, maybe that's something that I'd like to do. Um, Okay, that's uh, Joe Bonner and Tommy Riley who are on the yes. other line. Yeah, yeah, they're on the other mm-hmm. line. So, I mean, we, most of us don't know, what, you know, when, you, when uh, elected government, uh, being an elected government or running for election, um, you don't know how you're going to do when, when you put your name forward mm-hmm. or you don't know how you're going to do. And I think there's a lot of uh, councillors currently in the chamber that have been, uh, that are in the chamber because of co-option. It's the likes of um, Joe Fox, the likes of Eddie Fennessy and the likes of Jerry O'Connor. And they were all co-opted into the council uh, at various stages uh, throughout the last council and the council before that because of various reasons. Maybe um, Ray Butler, I think, mm-hmm. um, became a, a minister and the Fine Gael party then co-opted Joe Fox um, the, obviously, um, yeah, Ray, Ray Butler became Joe, a, a TV. Yeah, Joe yes, Riley. So. Joe Riley mm-hmm. passed away, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. um, Eddie Fennessy then uh, got the corruption for sure. Yeah, and I, I suppose so, you could say uh, the same of Ray Butler. He became a, a TD that time, not a, a minister. Yeah, but when, but when he lo- when he lost his TD, uh, he was effectively co-opted. He he was uh, nominated by the Taoiseach to become a senator for the, for the senator. Yeah. I mean, I operated. Look at people, people. You know, I operated within the local government regulations. Um, article, you know, yeah. article. Uh, okay. I mean, I had to choose one of the seats. Article one four, uh, uh, one two four of the local election reg- regulations. Under that, I had to choose a seat. Under article one four two, one four one two four, section two. Mm. You know, I I I was. I, I was able to nominate Amanda Smith for that casual thing. Okay, but why didn't you go to the courts and take your constitutional challenge? Why didn't you take the constitutional challenge you, well, you had know, said I that actually, you were going to actually, take? Well, look, I actually looked at this constitutional challenge very, very seriously because I was told, you? you know, that mm. it would be an option for me. By who? By somebody in the, in, in the, in the, in the department um, of local government. Now, when I went to look for clarification on it, I couldn't get clarification on it. Um, I, I spoke to um, a very eminent uh, lawyer in relation to uh, local government, and very simply, I was told that case would probably cost me over 100000 Um I spoke to Kevin Callan about it, yeah. and, and, you know, we'd, I mean, he obviously, he had a different scenario. He was running in the same, he was sitting around the same table. Um, I was never going to be sitting around the same table with the with the Ashburn um, electoral area and the late No, 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 no. You you, you 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 told us uh, not too long yeah. ago uh, before uh, the election. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, that uh, you had spoken to Kevin Callan and he said that uh, a constitutional challenge was possible. When we mentioned that to him, I think it was the very next day that you had said yeah. this. He said he had never said that. Well, actually, that it wasn't did. possible. Uh, no, he had no, never, no, he had no, never, no, he, he had never thought it was possible. Yeah, I know. Well, look, he, he threw his eyes up to heaven and said, "What are you talking sorry. about?" No, well, look, that's not true because I have spoken to Kevin Callan on it, and that is actually the fact. I did speak to Kevin Callan about it before the election, well before the election. I did speak to him on this. You know, look, I, I, I mean, I certainly couldn't fork out a uh, hundred grand on a on a high court challenge. Um, but you'd lose it. A Supreme Court challenge. But you'd I lose it. Fork Sorry? You'd lose it, wouldn't you? There's no well, option. Well, I don't know. Well, I mean, the know, Local I Government Act is very clear. People, I mean, that was just all bluster. Sorry, the will of the people has to be upheld at the end of the day. I mean, I have, I mean, look, at I, I ran in two areas. Yeah. The, the people, but you were talking a nonsense. That's the whole point. Well, I and you were making it up about Kevin Callan. Uh, and when we put to Kevin Callan what you said well, he I, had said, he threw his eyes up to heaven. 
Well, I'm oh, sorry. Well, I, I have no idea what facial expressions he made because I wasn't there. But I can assure you that I did speak to Kevin Callan about this issue. Yes, and he said to you there's no option uh, to take a constitutional challenge. He, we talked about it was the cost that would be involved in taking it to the Supreme Court. There's no grounds and to take a constitutional cost, challenge. The Act well is very over, clear. That would cost well over... This, it would cost well over 100000 But look, is that, is that the issue here today? No, it's, it's not the issue here today. Uh, the, 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 it's a point that I'm putting to you because you oh, had said... I, well, I'm, well, I'm that telling you, you that I did mention it to Kevin Callan. We, we did discuss yes. it mm. and we did discuss it and it was... Co- it was and do you accept that there are no grounds for a constitutional challenge and that you were totally no, so, misgiven in no, thinking no, no. that you could have taken sorry, it? I wasn't to- I mean, sorry, I wasn't totally misled uh, in relation... In no, not misled, misgiven. Well, I don't know whether it was totally misgiven. I mean, the cost of taking constitutional challenge. Mm. I don't. Actually, I, 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 actually I think. I think a lot of people were misled when they heard you say that you might take a constitu- constitutional challenge, well, and I that they, they, they believed that you would be advised that it was possible. But it turns out that uh, it wasn't. It's not wasn't possible. It was never possible, and it's most likely that you were never given such advice. Sorry, that is not true. That there, there are your words, Michael. They're not my words. It, it, it became apparent to me that taking a constitutional challenge would cost me well over 100000 I only earn just over 17000 18000 a year being, from being a, being a county councillor. I run a full-time office. I, do, I give of myself full-time to the people I represent. Okay. I'm out doing this morning, noon and night for everybody. I'm, and people know that. People that elected me and put... There's 3,700 people that put the number one and number two beside Sharon Kilgan's name. Mm. That is what has happened here. And you've got to ask yourself, if the people and if the people were being served by the political parties, then there would have been no room for Sharon Kogan okay. in the Ashburn area. Uh, but I, I got the third highest preference vote in the Ashburn area. Yes, and and, and and the people will be very well served there. They will have sh- they will have a Kogan for Mead team up there in Stamolin. Okay. And, and, and that and that probably is the point. It's a Kogan for Mead team. Uh, let's talk about this uh, with uh, some of uh, the people who are on the telephone. Independent Councillor okay. Joe Bonner. I'm sure you'll uh, join with everybody in wishing Amanda Smith well uh, in her role as an independent councillor, part of uh, the Sharon Kogan team for Mead. Uh, but uh, I think uh, you have uh, some reservations about how this coronation took place. Yeah, good morning, Michael. Um, yeah, some to put it mildly, some reservations. Yeah, I've got serious reservations about this. This, in my opinion, is a as a total as putting as a total corruption of the democratic process. I think it's a, a setting an unhealthy precedent. And uh, basically, my beliefs are simple. I believe in fairness. I believe in equality of opportunity and protection of the democratic uh, system. And I can't see any of this happening here. But what's happening here isn't, in my opinion. It isn't straight, mm-hmm. it isn't transparent, and uh, there's talks of deals and facilitations. I okay, want to but know. As Sharon Kogan yeah. said, I mean, it's not the first time that somebody has been co opted to the council. Finnegale councillors are in seats uh, that uh, they were nominated for without standing for election because yeah. Finnegale councillors yep. left those seats. Uh, so it, it, it's fairly common yep. practice. Sharon Kogan had a, a spare seat, if you like, uh, and she nominated Amanda Smith. Now, that needed to be voted on, no, and it was voted yeah, on no, by the majority yeah, of councillors. Yeah, no, Michael, I think that we need to get something very straight here. Uh, Councillor Kogan got one seat. Independent. She she, she got one. She got one seat. She was she ran in two areas. She had to select one of those areas within a, a period of time. If she didn't do that, 
she would the, the the authority then would select the area for her. Prior to she prior to the election, she has misled the people. She told the people that she could take the two seats. She actually told me that herself. When I actually, she, when she, I actually did actually, take the seat. No, no, the police let me talk. She actually said before, long before the election. Mm. Listen, I have no interest in Ashburn. I am going to take Julianstown and Stamullen, and I'm putting one of my workers in Ashburn. So I'll tell you one thing, the Julian, people of Ashburn... Julian's is not in the okay. area, uh, and no, that just no, shows, shows you how much you please, please, please let me talk. And I'm actually quite surprised this, no, by you, Joe. No, this is... We'll moment. Sharon, 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 I'll no, give but you... But I am surprised by but you. Sharon, I'll give him, but, Sharon, but Sharon, can we hear what he has to say, and I'll give you a chance to respond. All right, OK. OK. okay. Yeah. Sharon Kilgan said to me several times, listen, I have no interest in Ashburn, she says... I'm running the two areas, she said. I, I'm going to Julianstown and Stockholm, and I'm going to put my workers in Ashburn. And so basically, we're getting a puppet in Ashburn belonging to. Mm. Oh. Okay, Laytown and Bettystown, which is next door to Julianstown. So, that's correct. Very, very. Laytown and Bettystown, which is next door to Julianstown. So, that's correct. So, so, so you didn't believe that stuff about taking a constitutional challenge so that she could take both seats? Absolutely not. Like, for example, uh, Michael, I could have run here and probably got elected in three areas. Mm. I would have had a great, great chance of getting elected in the Rototh area, because that's the area like, at Borders. And I also did my hometown in Donegal because there was a deficit there for an independent up there. And we don't think so what's going what, 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 What's setting up? Very, very healthy person here. And one or two or three counselors dictate what happens in Castle. In, 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 in where we're go- going to have someone who's in the Ashburn area who is going to be a puppet sitting counselor that's in another that's area. Disrespect okay. okay. Councillor Amanda. Well, well, I'm, I'm, uh, she's not going to be any yeah. puppet. I'm sure she won't be a puppet. Uh, okay, well, okay. Uh, so, well, you know, I, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure what you mean by that, Joe Bonner, is because Amanda Smith isn't here. That should be part of the Sharon Kogan for Mead's team, uh, which is not what people voted for. Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Right. The people voted for uh, the people in 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 the Ashburn area, and uh, they voted for. Okay. You you had an alternative there. candidate who you proposed yesterday, Joe Bonner. Yeah. Who was that? Well, the alternative candidate was Lisa Meller, who was next on the ballot paper. And Lisa Meller is a Fianna Fáil, uh, and I didn't. I don't really care what party what party they're from. Okay. The, the next person and an important so, was to put themselves before election. Okay. Time to bring in Tommy Riley now, because Tommy Riley is a sitting Fianna Fáil councillor and the only Fianna Fáil councillor in County Mead that we were able to make contact with uh, in the last 24 hours. Tommy Riley, uh, you voted against the Fianna Fáil candidate who would have been next uh, on the ballot paper, as did every member of Fianna Fáil in the council. Why was that the case? Good morning, Michael, and good morning, Sharon and Joe. Um, I voted for... uh, the candidate I was asked to vote for, um, uh, Amanda Smith, and I think it's very disrespectful of, of people. Uh, the, your, the words integrity was used yesterday about her in the chamber, and now Joe Bonner this morning is calling her a puppet. I think that's very demeaning of the lady. I wish her very well, and 
please God, she'll be a very, very good councillor. I'm as sure she, she will. Has, and, uh, she has worked as she has worked through uh, the years with Sharon there, who is a former member of Fianna Fáil, uh, Sharon Keoghan. Mm-hmm. But you were hand also hand. asked to vote for Lisa Meller, who was yeah. the Fianna Fáil candidate who was next on the ballot. So why did you and all of the Fianna Fáil councillors vote against your own candidate? It wasn't our seat. in all fairness, I wasn't really going to go into the town of Ashburn, but you know, you know, I, I know, I know, I know that Amanda and I make the Ashbourne councillors yeah. work harder now. You have been sitting in that council for 15 years up there yeah, in that and, area. And, and you haven't got a playground. You haven't, and, and any play, you haven't delivered any recreation facilities there for the 12,000 people that live there in Ashford. But do you not realise that this has turned into pantomime politics now because the yeah. Fine Gael councillors voted for the Fianna Fáil councillor or Fianna Fáil candidate? And Michael, if I may come in there too, the majority of the councillors on the council yesterday didn't want this. Fianna Fáil put the whip on their members. And one of the one of, of, of the Fianna Fáil members, when asked by someone, would they vote for Lisa Miller? He says, well, Lisa Miller give me the extra 16,000 that I'm getting mm. by being part of this group. And that's what this I, is going to. OK, I should also mention that we did speak to Ashley Dempsey and Deirdre Garrity earlier on. Uh, Deirdre Garrity Smith, uh, they're both working at the moment, so not uh, available. But uh, Tommy Riley was the only Fianna Fáil uh, person uh, who was uh, available to us. I suppose you got the short straw in trying to explain this, uh, Tommy Riley. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is I'm, it I'm, is somewhat I'm, ironic, isn't it, when Fianna Fáil votes against Fianna Fáil. When, when Fianna Fáil votes against Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael votes for Fianna Fáil, it is ironic, isn't it? It's more ironic that Joe is actually voting. Tommy Riley. It's more ironic that Joe is actually voting. To Tommy Riley, please. Sharon, can Tommy Riley answer the question, please? Thanks, Michael. Michael, this is a long game. It's nothing got to do with the seat yesterday. It's about national politics, what was happening yesterday. End of story. It was an independent seat. We voted for the independent. That's the reason. It was not. It was well, it's nobody's seat. It was a people's seat. And it's a people that belong to the people. The pe- well, the people are very, going to be very well looked, well looked after when the children of the, the, the people. The people you had two people to choose from, Tommy Riley. You had a Fianna yeah. Fáil nominee and you had an independent nominee. You voted for the independent. Fine Gael voted for the Fianna Fáil. We, we didn't nominate anyone, Michael. We no, but you had two, two, two names no, no, nominated. No, 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 no. Just listen to me now. It's very hard for me to get in there with the pantomime yeah. that's put on and what's not been done in that <laughs> Well, well Tommy, you, Tommy, you call it a pantomime. And let me put another bit in the pantomime. What you is your of manners, Joe. Who, 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 who is the was? I'm surprised, Joe, that you didn't have manners. I'm surprised, Joe. I'm surprised you would call someone. One at a time. I'm surprised, Joe, you would call a lady a puppet. And you said integrity, you said yesterday as well. You should be ashamed of yourself, Joe. I never I, I never said that yesterday. Tommy, listen, don't be trying to detract from I want to know what is the deal. Who is the deal with? Who, your business. who does who of your business? And, and None where of your business. 
No, Joe, Joe. Okay, okay, all right, okay. Let, 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 now you've got to the nub of the issue, so come on, tell us what the deal is, because it mightn't be Joe Bonner's business, but it's our, our listeners' business. Fianna Fáil has done a, a deal with the independents and Ain 2, is it? Sorry, is it me you're speaking to? Yes, Tommy. Yes, yes they have, and, and, uh, and Labour. And Labour, okay. Yes. Yes, the, the, from the majority party on the council, yes. Right, OK. And as a result, uh, I suppose you could say that uh, Lisa Meller was a, a casualty uh, of all of that. I have nothing to say about Lisa Meller. I don't know that lady uh, at all. All I know is there was an independent vacancy. We voted for the independent candidate. We did not There was an independent vacancy. There was, there was no independent... Ah, would you, Michael, please, there's no point in moving right, on. Well, Joe, 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 if, no if, point if that, that independent that vacancy wasn't held up yesterday, was every single co-option in the future was, a vac- was, under, was under jeopardy. And you well know that. So let's so say something happened to you, Joe. Okay. Area, Joe, the, the, the Joe, people, sorry. The people, the people own the seat. The people own the seat. OK, well, the seat has been filled... Have five years now to decide who they're going to back the next time, and okay. I can tell you, like, just like I topped the poll in the late time, I, want to, I want to know area. what the deal is okay. and who the deal is. We're out of time. Sharon Kogan. Sharon Kogan, will you? Sharon Kogan. Sharon Kogan, will you pass on our congratulations uh, to Amanda Smith? I will, of course. Thank you very much, thank you very much, and thank all your listeners and all the voters that voted for Kogan. I okay. won't get them down Thank you very much indeed to each of Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Independent Councillor Sharon Cogan, Independent Councillor Joe Bonner, and uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor Tommy Riley. Michael Reed on LMFM. The government may meet uh, this evening. Uh, they won't meet uh, this morning, as would normally be the case, because uh, the Taoiseach is uh, stuck in Brussels. Leo Radker decided to stay on as uh, the European leaders uh, try to carry out what seems uh, to be an almost impossible task at this stage and that is uh, to elect the next president of uh, the European Commission. We'll go to Brussels where Karen Coleman is uh, the editor with Europarl Radio which reports from the European Parliament in Brussels and in Strasbourg and it seems Karen that uh, in this very difficult job they've been trying to find a compromise candidate. Leo Vradker himself has been mooted as being such a candidate but it seems as though that's been ruled out at this stage. Has he? Well, I, I mean, it was very interesting to actually see his name coming up because Leo Varadkar would be relatively new in terms of his experience as a prime minister. Um, I don't know how serious that suggestion was. But as you say, there's been really this has been dragging on the uh, challenge to try and get an agreement among the EU leaders of the 28 EU member states to agree on who should be the next president of the European Commission. Now, the lead candidate was Manfred Weber, who is the head of the European People's Party group here in the European Parliament. He's a German MEP and was backed mm. by Angela Merkel. But there's been a lot of opposition to Weber. Many people feel he just doesn't have the experience. He hasn't been a prime minister. He hasn't even been a minister, as far as I know, and that he doesn't have the experience. And this has led to this kind of a stalemate situation where there is real disagreement among the EU leaders as to who should be the next president of the European Commission. And then there are several other senior positions to fill as well. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. I'm here covering the European Parliament's first plenary session of, of this new ninth term, Michael in Strasbourg. Yes. And tomorrow they're supposed to vote on who should be the, pres- the new president of the European Parliament. 
But because they haven't fixed on who's going to be the president of the European Commission, mm. there's now confusion here as to who will actually be the new president of the European Parliament. OK, because this follows the European elections, obviously, and with that, all of uh, these positions have to uh, be filled again. It's the beginning of a, a new parliament and uh, the beginning of a, a new regime. Uh, is the difficulty in selecting a new commissioner a sign of things to come? And how complicated uh, the workings of the European Parliament will be? because uh, the balance of power has shifted somewhat. The EPP uh, is uh, still one of uh, the biggest parties. I uh, should say that uh, the European People's Party that you mentioned earlier on is uh, the party that Fine Gael is aligned to, and uh, they had put Manfred Weber uh, forward as uh, their preferred candidate. But that doesn't seem to be uh, a runner with some, including Emmanuel Macron. Uh, and as a result of his position, it, it seems as though Angela Merkel may reject the idea of the Brexit negotiator Michel Barnier because of geography. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 all a sort of a, a political football game that's going on at the moment because what they're doing here is juggling what political groups, what parties are going to have these very senior positions within the EU. Now, up until now, There were three leaders from the European People's Party who had three senior positions. So you had the president of the European Parliament, uh, Antonio Tijani, he came from the EPP. So too did Donald Tusk, president of the European Council, and of course Jean-Claude Juncker. So the EPP group has held very senior positions for the previous term. But as you say, Michael... Things have shifted Mm. and the European People's Party's group has lost a lot of seats, as did the Party of the European Socialists. Between the two of them, and they had long been the majority holders of power within the European Parliament and European politics, they lost 70 election seats in the European elections, while the Liberals, the Greens and the Populists gained 99 seats. And that definitely has led to a shift in terms of the obvious majority holders. And the European People's Party group had always been the big party here. It has lost power. Mm. And so what you're what you're seeing now is a battle for power for these powerful positions between, on the one hand, the European People's Party group, and on the other, the socialists. And as you rightly mm. say, in the middle of it all, you have Emmanuel Macron's lot. They've formed a new group here uh, called Renew Europe. And Macron has been very much against Manfred Weber. But he was also ruling out Franz Timmermans, who was the socialist candidate, Mm. a very able person. He's currently the first vice president of the European Commission, former Dutch foreign minister, a very able man. But Macron doesn't seem to want him either. Um, So it's going to, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen here. Mm. They may well decide on a compromise candidate. So people such as um, the uh, leader of the IMF, Christine Lagarde, have been mentioned, as you say, Michel Barnier. There's another very senior Bulgarian woman who is the chief executive of the World Bank. She's been mentioned as well. But it's all to play for, I would say, still. Um, but, you know, mm. they really kind of, if, if they don't make an agreement today on who should become the next president of the European Commission, that is going to create consternation, I would think, here in the Parliament for the vote tomorrow to vote to elect 
the president of the European Parliament. Okay, and uh, the idea of nominating Franz Timmermans brings us uh, back home to a a domestic uh, charge against Leo Vradker and Fine Gael uh, because uh, Franz Timmermans has been critical of Hungary and Poland uh, because it is uh, the EPP that is supporting him and consequently Fine Gael that's supporting him. We have opposition parties here suggesting that Leo Vradker is aligning himself with people like Viktor Orban. Well, this has been an ongoing controversy within the the European political world. The behaviour of certainly Poland, but particularly Viktor Orban, the leader of of the Hung, of, Hung, of the Hungarian government, um, very right wing character, and he was suspended from his his group. Fidesz was suspended from the EPP towards the end of the last parliament. But generally, he's been seen to introduce draconian laws and curbing democracy in Hungary. And of course, a lot of people have criticized the European People's Party group in the past for, you know, for maintaining and supporting him. Though that waned, as I said, towards the end of the last parliamentary term. Um, and, and I mean, it was interesting to see the opposition of Leo Varadkar against um, the other candidates um, and, and very much supporting Manfred Weber because mm. It could put Ireland in a tricky position because let's say Franz Timmermans does eventually get elected the president of the European Commission. He may not look too kindly on Leo Varadkar or or the Irish government for not supporting him. And this will be important in terms of Brexit and all of that. But Mm -hmm. listen, Michael, the wheeling Mm -hmm. and dealing that goes on behind the scenes here. I mean, you know, really, it's very intense and very tense, I would say, at times as well. Okay, and uh, assuming a commissioner is selected at some stage uh, today, the European Parliament will then uh, elect a president, as you say, tomorrow. Uh, Will that be Mairead McGuinness? Well, of course, Mairead McGuinness has been a very effective and able first vice president of the European Parliament. She has a lot of support here. She ran for the presidency of the European Parliament last time round in 2017. And it was it, it actually eventually came down to just herself and Antonio Tajani, who was also from the same political group. As you mentioned earlier, Fine Gael is part of the European People's Party, the centre-right political group here in the Parliament. And eventually Antonio Tajani won out. I don't think it has anything to do with Mairead McGuinness's effectiveness. It just has to do with all the political wheeling and dealing that goes on behind the scenes. Most definitely so. And uh, I think people will be watching it very closely, particularly people locally, uh, and as to whether Mairead McGuinness will become uh, the next president of uh, the European Parliament. Thanks to Karen Coleman, editor with Europarl Radio, which reports from the European Parliament in Strasbourg and in Brussels. Michael Reed on LMFM. Staffing in child and adolescent mental health services across the country will be subject of a Fianna Fáil motion which will be put to the doll during private members' time tonight. Let's talk a little bit more about the deficits with James Brown, who's Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on mental health. And a very good morning to you and thanks for joining us. 57% of the staff required are in place across the country, but in parts of the country, less than half the number of staff that are, are needed are actually working uh, in children and adolescent services. No, that's it, Michael. Our child and adolescent mental health services provide the mental health services to children and young people, the 10% most acute situations. So it's really, really important to deal with the most serious of cases. Yet evidence that has been provided to me demonstrates that 
there are only 57% of the staff in place that are needed. But actually, in some areas, you have less than 50% of the staff in place. And that means a lot of very critical staff are missing. They may be psychiatrists, maybe clinical psychologists, they may be allied health professionals, social workers that are really needed to be in place to help young people uh, for early intervention in terms of their mental health care. Because we know over 50% of mental health issues in all people initially arise before the age of 14. And if you have early intervention, Mm. if you have the support network there, those children can and do recover. But if the services are not there, what ends up happening is the situation for those children becomes more ingrained, it becomes more difficult to resolve, and very often then that reflects itself in other aspects of the child's life. For example, it may seriously impact on their education, their ability to learn in school, and of course then has a further impact on their future lives. Or, or their lifespan, uh, because uh, sometimes uh, a crisis uh, can be insurmountable and result in death by suicide. No, absolutely, and we know there is a serious issue with suicide among young people in Ireland, and that, that unfortunately is happening. And we're seeing as well in terms of social media, young people are coming under intense pressure, pressure that no previous generation ever faced. And that is impacting on them as well in terms of anxiety, in terms of depression, and in terms of just the intensity of the pressure they're coming under. I remember when I was young, if, for example, there was bullying going on in school, it either left at the school gates or perhaps on the way home. But what you're seeing now with young people bullying, for example, it's following them all the way home, upstairs and into their bedroom. And very often I see young people suffering from sleep deprivation as well as a result of this. So you need the services in place so that children can get access to these services as quickly as possible. But we know because of the lack of services, because of the lack of staff, mm. there are intolerable waiting lists for young people to get access to these services. And what ends up happening then is that GPs refer these children to emergency departments, which is no place for anybody with a mental health issue, especially young people. And I know, for example, even yeah. last night in Waterford DOP, a, a young a young man, a young adolescent was admitted to hospital and he's on a trolley down there at the moment. So, I mean, it, it, yeah. it's totally acceptable. We've, unacceptable. We've had children sitting on chairs sleeping on mattresses in an adult units as well. I mean, this is having a very serious consequence mm-hmm. for you. And we don't want to overstate it. I mean, we are talking about the extreme end of the spectrum there, but that is uh, the risk that uh, is posed by failing people when we don't deliver services uh, that uh, should be available to them. Uh, and in terms of CAMS, uh, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, uh, there's two and a half children waiting for a first appointment and nearly 300 of that two and a half thousand are are waiting for more than a year. Well this is it I mean waiting over a year for what is acute services so it's not somebody waiting for maybe just who's starting to develop an issue these are children who have probably been worked away through the system they've been looked at by a GP they've been assessed as needing far more uh, serious support and intervention than for example a counsellor or psychologist could give so they have to wait over a year for that kind of intervention, I think is totally unacceptable. And one view I have is that the National Treatment Purchase Fund should be extended to cover our mental health services as well. It's provided in our physical health services, should be provided to our mental health services as well, because at least if if children can get in and get that initial assessment, at least then they know what kind of treatment they need. Because we have a problem recruiting, and if we do recruit, retaining staff. No, absolutely, and that's across your entire health services. Uh, but it's very acute in our mental health services as well. And I see an awful lot 
of our mental health nurses, for example, are now starting to really face burnout. So they are because the mental strain on them, the terms of pressure that's being put on them when other essential services such as as them are not there, they don't have the support and they have to to carry a huge load. And as I say, those nurses are burning out and we're seeing an awful lot of nurses simply leave the uh, mental health profession. Uh, And is that it or can that be improved or do we have to accept that we cannot recruit and that we need to outsource this service to uh, pay private providers uh, to deliver the service for us as you say well ideally it would be provided in within the hsc and so so it would but if if, if the hsc can't resolve the situation then i think they should look at the national treatment national treatment purchase fund for mental health services but ideally they would the services will be provided within the HSC, but at the moment they're simply not being provided. But I think one thing that can't happen is to allow children to have to go an extended period without getting the necessary intervention that they need so they can make a recovery and uh, and, be, and fulfil their, their huge potential that they have. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, your motion will be debated in the Dáil this evening and uh, thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme today. That's uh, Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on mental health, James Brown. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie McGuire joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Maggie. Morning, Michael. And I'll start off straight away with some of the comments that I have left over from um, yesterday, if that's okay. Um, It's in relation to the piece you were doing on the issue of minimum pricing for drink. Um, Dave rang to say um, he has reservations about the new rules on minimum pricing been introduced, the ones that are due to be fast-tracked by government. Um, he's, He's saying that it'll drive to bring prices up here further and further and he wants to know just how expensive government plan on making alcohol here. Mm. It's already been proven that we've one of the highest drink prices in all of the EU and now government want to increase them um, even more. It's ridiculous. People won't be able to have any kind of social life at all at this rate. Is what you say. Yeah, well it's the cheap alcohol that won't be cheap anymore and that if you can buy a can for a, a pound now or a euro now <laughs> come into the modern age <laughs> if you can buy a can for a euro it'll probably cost you more like two euros. Uh, I think yeah. some of uh, the more dramatic increases would be the likes of uh, a bottle of vodka which uh, we got stuck on yesterday uh, because you can buy vodka in some places for around 13 euro now yeah. that bottle of vodka will now cost 21 euro it'll be 8 euro uh, more expensive than is currently the case yeah. uh, but the bottle of euro uh, vodka that costs 21 euro now will still be 21 euro yeah yeah so yeah as you say you know people who do yeah. go for the cheaper brands because obviously they're trying to keep live within their means I suppose will yeah. feel the pinch of it massively mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. alright um, and on the same subject Tony wants to know um, who will get the extra money that are going to be that's going to be raised by these new laws is there a revenue incentive that's encur- encouraging government to push ahead with this move mm, possibly so absolutely and again on the same subject Michael rang in and he was very annoyed he was listening to the mm. piece with Union and he said it's very frustrating to listen to um, why should we have to listen to organised telling us how to live our lives and what to drink and what not to drink. He said it's nobody else's business whether somebody has a drink or doesn't have a drink and what gives uh, these groups the right to tell us how to live. He says he's mm. sick of it all together and pe- people should be able to live their lives however they want to. Okay, I was actually thinking back on that interview this morning when I was looking at uh, the story from uh, Safe Food Ireland and uh, a survey that they did and how people on lower income spend a third of their income on 
on food. Mm. Uh, and I, I, I think sometimes some people forget how little money people have and how little disposable income they have and mm. how difficult it can be for them to have an odd drink, drink without yeah. having six bottles of vodka because it's 13 euro. Let's increase it to 21 euro so we can only have three bottles of vodka. It's not the case with yeah. all of the people. Yeah, that's the case. Some mm. people m- might buy a bottle of wine once every two weeks or something mm. to have, like, if, yeah. you know, and that's it. And that would be their treat, I suppose, for want mm. of a better way of putting it. And yeah. like you're saying, it, that price increase is going to be massive for them. Um, on the same subject, Eric in Dundalk was in contact. Um, he's saying that health experts quite rightly want to reduce the sugar content in fizzy drinks, etc., to make them healthier. He understands that the reasoning behind the minimum pricing increase is to make people healthier because obviously mm. it'll kind of cut their access to drink because people won't be able to afford it. But he was saying, is it possible to reduce the alcohol content in drink, in spirits and wines and beers, um, in the same way that you can reduce your sugar content? If you could reduce the alcohol content, could you keep the price the same? Because mm. technically they would be healthier mm-hmm. than they are now. Yep. So, you know, is that a runner at all and is that doable? And the answer is, I don't know. I, but, you uh, know, that's what he was putting out as a I possibility. I think it's a, a sugar tax that they're talking about. So that if you reduced uh, the sugar level, uh, the tax wouldn't apply in the same way. Okay. okay. Uh, let's talk uh, about uh, some of our politicians now and uh, how they earn their money. Fergal Blaney is political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mirror and has a, a very interesting exclusive in uh, the Mirror today to do with the attendance rates of uh, members of uh, the Oireachtas Housing Committee. Good morning to you, Fergal, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, you've been taking a, a look at who attended these meetings, who was supposed to attend these meetings, and who actually did attend these meetings between the 18th of April and uh, the 20th of of June this year. What did you discover? Yes, Michael, thanks for having me on. Uh, some very interesting reading, to be honest. Um, <laughs> housing is uh, is one of the most important issues, and it's one of the hot potatoes politically. And every party uh, says they're very committed to tackling the crisis. But I suppose the proof of the pudding should be in the eating when you look at the, the committee where everyone says a lot of the hard work is done. And to be quite frank, some of the attendance rates are not up for scratch. If we just give you a few examples in mm. reverse order, shall we say, um, Matthew McGrath seems to have the worst roll call of any of the pupils here. Out of 51 meetings he could have attended since last April, he's only attended 20. So that's well below 50%, wow. 39%. Others include uh, Darrell Bryan, who's the Fianna Fáil housing spokesman, ironically. He's uh, at 24 which is 47%. And then as you go down along, we come to some of the, the best performers, perhaps. Um, ironically, Maria Bailey, who has been in hot water recently, uh, has a good news day today. She's up at 90%. She'd be the, the chairman most of the time. And then um, Pat Casey from Peter Fall has a, a great attendance at, 50, at 90%. And Ona Bryn of Sinn Féin, who, of course, is their housing spokesman, is on 48 out of 51, so 94% attendance rate. OK, local TD on uh, the committee, Fergus O'Dowd. How did he fare? Fergus O'Dowd is not too bad. He has 31 out of 51 at 61%, but you must remember as well that he's on, he's on a good few committees. So oftentimes I'm told that his, um, his committee commitments may clash. So 61% might be considered too bad, um, especially when uh, he would not be the housing spokesman for the party. Of course, they have ministers to do that. Um, Owen Murphy. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And Damien English, who would appear. And uh, I take it you'd uh, expect Maria Bailey to uh, have a very good attendance rate as the chair of the committee and as uh, the government uh, party representative on uh, the committee. Ono Brin, the Sinn Féin spokesperson on housing, an excellent record at 94%. Uh, yeah. But why is Dara O'Brien, the Fianna Fáil spokesperson on housing, so low? Well, I asked him that, and he has, um, he has two answers for me, I suppose. Uh, firstly, he says that he only took over the brief last year. Um, I looked back with Fianna Fáil and he took up the role on the 29th of March but I didn't start examining the records until the 18th of April so perhaps he was reading into his brief and he wasn't able to get along to the meetings he also points out that on occasion Fianna Fáil have enough spokesmen to go around that they split the portfolios so the chain castles would appear at uh, times he shares um, the planning and local government aspect of the housing planning and local government with um Mr. O'Brien, so he says that accounts for some of it, but um, just comparing it to some of the other um, attendees and TDs and senators, Mm. they could make the same arguments, I think, but they seem to have a far better attendance rate. Okay, interesting stuff. Thank you very much indeed, Fergal, for bringing us uh, those uh, stats uh, this morning. Fergal Blaney, political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mirror. Now let's go back uh, to some more of uh, the calls that have uh, come to us. Maggie, what else have you got there? Well, um, Bernie was in contact with us in relation to the waiting times issue that you discussed with Thomas Burn yesterday, the oh, hospital yes, waiting yeah, list yeah, and yeah. times, and she was saying that she needed emergency surgery herself a while back, and she was told she'd have to wait at least eighteen months here to get her operation. So she desi- decided to avail of the cross-border health directive, mm. and she was waiting just six weeks to have her operation. Now she said it did cost her over five thousand um, euro between consultants and follow-up appointments. She had to pay the money up front, but then the HSE reimbursed some mm. of it, not all of it, but a lot of it. And she was just saying, it, you know, it may not be possible for everybody to avail of this scheme because it can be a financial pressure but that she would advise anyone who is in the position where they do have the money to use the service because it means they get mm. out of their pain quicker so absolutely um, yeah. mm-hmm. she was she's a real mm. advocate for it and mm. um, Mary for me on the same subject um, wants to know how the HSE can say that waiting times are just 12 or 13 months she's been waiting nearly four years in a procedure and it's ridiculous and dreadful that people are having to face these long waits mm. um, on the same issue again about waiting times and hospital um, waiting times Paddy was in contact in relation to the um, uh, the difficulties we're seeing at emergency departments being full to the brim constantly um, he says that's because people are going there instead of going to the doctor and call services over the weekend and they're tying up um, the services and the doctors and nurses with minor injuries and ailments and he thinks that people who repeatedly misuse the service in this way should be reprimanded or face some kind of mi- um, minor fine for hugging up the services. Okay yeah that's I suppose uh, one that would be very difficult uh, to adjudicate as somebody doing it intentionally
actually and uh, I, I can't imagine that they are but uh, that's another day's work. Any calls about the North-South Interconnector? Um, no, not as no, yet. No, we haven't morning. had much uh, talk about the North-South Interconnector for some time. Uh, I don't know if you remember uh, that uh, the local elections took place on the 24th of May but about a week before that the North East Pilot Pressure Campaign Group held uh, a public meeting and they were suggesting uh, that the policy that AirGrid is pursuing is government policy, which is therefore Fine Gael policy, and as a result that Fine Gael should be punished if people oppose that policy in the ballot box. We asked at the time for one of the Fine Gael ministers in Meath to speak to us. Uh, that's Damien English, Regina Doherty or Helen McEntee. Uh, the elections came. The elections were complete. Uh, the seats were filled. And we still had no comment uh, from any of uh, the ministers. And then we did speak uh, to Damien English and we asked if uh, perhaps uh, one of the ministers would speak to us about the North-South interconnector. I think we should be able to look back on what Damien English said now. I have many and many other cases come on to the major program. I will do that again in the future. And once you chair it independently, which of course you all yep. would do. OK, so will, will, will one of the ministers uh, come on the program? Over the I'm course sure. of the next week or two, to discuss this with Paul O'Reilly. I, 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 I have no problem coming on, Great. and we can arrange okay. once we have a proper independent discussion on this. Okay, sorry about the gap there. Uh, whilst we were waiting to hear that clip, uh, but I thought it was probably worth waiting to hear because uh, we did uh, say would you come on in the next week or two. No problem, no problem. He said that was the 29th of May. Uh, we haven't heard from any of the ministers since, uh, but uh, we can tell you that Damien English is going to debate uh, the issue with Paul O'Reilly of the Northeast Pilot Pressure Campaign at about half past ten this morning. That's it, exactly. Yeah. He's got my nominals at mm. half um, ten this morning, so we'll hear what the Minister has to say then. And um, I'll just finish up with one or two quick comments in relation to the opening piece this morning. Um, Bernadette was in contact to say that Amanda Smith never interviewed for the job, to, to use a phrase from mm. the private sector, and she thinks that the next person with the most amount of votes should have got um, should have got the seat. The councillors um, who voted in favour of the independent councillor councillors should be ashamed of themselves. It's the taxpayers' monies that are paying um, our local authorities and the taxpayers um, you know, should have a right and in, in should have a say in this whole process mm. as well. It all seemed a little bit bizarre, didn't it? It did, yeah. Mm. And it, I'll just finish up with this one mm. um, because Anne was very annoyed when she rang oh. um, after the initial interview and she just said she was disgusted listening to the Mead councillors scrapping like children on the radio just now. <laughs> she said it's nice to see that they're concentrating mm. on the job they were elected to do. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. I think that's all we'd say for the moment. Yep. And thanks for bringing us uh, those comments. Maggie, our telephone number is 1850715958. Maggie and Ross are taking calls on that number if you'd like to add to what's being said. We'd love to hear from you as always. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's uh, return uh, to Maria Bailey, who was mentioned uh, a little bit earlier on by Fergal Blaney for reasons other than the ones we're going to talk uh, about now. Because, as you know, Maria Bailey had a personal injuries claim in against uh, the Dean Hotel after falling off a swing. There is an internal Fine Gael report which is in the process of uh, being completed at the moment and uh, should it be made public and published to the general public. Paddy Mead is uh, one of uh, the local councillors who believes it should be and he joins us now. We're also joined by Gerry O'Connor, another Fine Gael councillor who's on the telephone. Good morning to both of you, Paddy. Uh, why, why, why do you want this published? 
Well, Michael, uh, thanks for having me in here. And um, I suppose, look at I, I would feel Fine Gael is a very transparent, open party, and we have nothing to hide, and we should never have anything to hide. And it sent set out a bad precedence. You know, this week I was collecting Fine Gael membership. You know, uh, political parties are in some ways like charities to get money from the state, to get money mm. from their memberships. We fundamentally pay for these reports to be done. You know, it's silly that people would pay for a report and then no one would see it. That sounds to me like a very silly exercise. And possibly there's not much to be learned from the report, but possibly there is stuff. Mm. I, I would see myself, and I get criticised sometimes for, for this, but I would see myself as a pro-business county councillor I help businesses all the time and you know in Mead County Council we try to lower rates and keep County Mead a pro-business but we don't have any control over insurance regulation our TDs do that's mm. that from Miss mm. Bailey Helen McIntyre Regina Doherty TDs have the power and say and I suppose if there's anything we can learn uh, that should be brought to the, the, the front um, you know uh, it's really crippling a lot of businesses mm. you know and when we talk about big hotels in Dublin, like Paddy McKillen is the man who owns that hotel. I've been in that hotel. I think he runs a very good hotel. It's quite a nice place. I had no problem with it when I was there. This has been very damaging to his reputation. Uh, you know, I, I, so I mm. want to be clear. That but you, you say this without prejudice. Uh, you're not expecting yeah. the report to say one thing or another, oh, yeah. negative or positive. You're oh. saying negative or positive. Yeah. Let's publish it. Let's find out what it yeah, says. And, and God forbid that there was negative things in it. Mm. Well, wouldn't it be better we knew about it and then we could address it? Sadly, Even if it was bad for the party, would it not be foolish but, of but a, a party, any party, no. to commission a report into itself uh, and discover something that would result in bad publicity by publishing it. On the day or the day after, yeah, it'll be bad publicity. But in the long term, if we have problems, we need to fix them. I'm a little councillor. I represent uh, South Drogheda as well as Leighton Benson Mm. District. We used to have a playground uh, in South Drogheda beside Stellene. I have an uncle that lives beside that. As a child, I went there regularly. You know, there was a claim in that playground probably completely legitimate and the person was fully entitled to a claim but that playground was closed down mm. you, have an, you have an aspect here now let's say if even swings playgrounds things like that where and I rang up a number of solicitors yesterday to get what is the average claim that goes in when someone falls in a playground or injures themselves mm. and they were telling me in and around 20,000 now this claim is for 60,000 mm. I suppose is that the new precedence I don't mm. I don't know I, I don't have a background in law uh, but if it is that's going to cripple a lot of businesses I had a, 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 a supporter of mine, a business owner in Dalik, who was in court last week. He was being sued and the case was thrown out straight away. Now, that didn't make the news. That same business owner has three other claims coming again him. That, to him, you know, and, and sadly, I, I, I've experienced it. I was in court in the past. A court case that went on for two years, two and a half years. Every day I was worried how much I was going to lose. For me as a businessman, uh, you know, now as a mm. councillor, that's terrifying. There's a lot of little businesses out there that are very scared of their next insurance quotes because the insurance quotes are going up and up and up. And I think if Fine Gael can help this, if our TDs could come together, change laws in some way to make a fairer system. And I think fairness goes with transparency. They're words that you put together, transparent, fair. Mm. And if we have a report that is into this issue, you know, which us, the membership okay. and the, the state through mm. taxes to the party paid for. We should, we should read it and we should learn from it. Mm. OK. Hard to argue with any of that, isn't it, uh, Jerry O'Connor? Yeah, it is. Look, look this is an internal report. Uh, and you mentioned, uh, you know, companies can do internal reports as well. And they're not going to release the information uh, without having looked at it, first of all. Uh, they have to learn from it. The reason the internal report is there is that there is an issue. 
Uh, it's been investigated by, by David Kennedy. He's going to give his report as far as I understand this next week. There's mixed feelings within the party uh, whether they should be published. But my own feelings, it should be published. Uh, there should be transparency, as Paddy says. Uh, and one way or the other, knowing the business, it's going to be leaked anyway. Mm. So <laughs> there's nothing in it. The one thing I will, like Paddy made a couple of points there, uh, the laws do need to be changed in registry insurance. It is killing and crippling uh, small business, uh, the claims culture. And that does need to be changed. Uh, and that takes the whole Iraqis and not just our government. It, it takes the bills to be put through and passed and debated through the channels and, 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 and the dog. And the other thing that Paddy mentioned, my understanding was that, that Maria Bailey's uh, claim could have, the maximum that court can give is 60k. I'm not so sure. I don't know the detail. There was she actually claimed for 60,000. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure about that. I, I, you know, I, 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 just from from what I read, I think that that court is the maximum they can give is sixty thousand. That's that's my my reading of it anyway. But yes, in relation to the report, it's transparent. In relation to the, the insurance, yeah, but uh, it, it's a huge I, issue. I, I think the question was why it, it wasn't taken in the circuit court and was taken in the district court, where the claims are, are potentially higher. Uh, but you mentioned David Kennedy, who's the barrister who was uh, commissioned yeah. to carry out this internal investigation. Uh, are you concerned at the reports that he rang up the Irish Independent and asked them how they got hold of the story? Yeah, I was a bit surprised by it, uh, to be honest, Michael. Uh, but, I mean, obviously, if he's doing a complete report, uh, he has to look and see where the sources are and what, what, what it is. But I was surprised that he'd actually even approached the media because uh, we all believe in the sanctity of... of, of uh, but what I'll, difference I'll, does it make? Yeah, sure, 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 surely the source doesn't matter. It, it's uh, the. Well, it was an internal review in relation to the Fine Gael party, and that source transferred to be another Fine Gael member. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. it was of interest to Fine Gael as part of this investigation. On, because it was alleged by. On what level or, or, or on what basis? From, from our own point of view, that we, we need to know. That it would be what, treacherous. Well, treachery is a very, very Dis- strong. Well, term. disloyal, whatever. No, we need to know. We we need to know what's going on in our organisations. Uh, that's what we need to do. Like mm. every organisation needs to know what's going on. If you were in business and some of your 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 marketing information was being given to a source, mm. you'd want to find out well, where is it coming from. Yeah, and I think that's what what David Kennedy was trying to do is get to the bottom of where did this start from. Well, surely it start from was uh, there something untoward happening? And it, it, no, no, I think I think I think really. Uh, from the media point of view, I think it was transparent in as much that the court case was listed. It was there for people, and the, mm. the, the, the journalists did their job. Mm. It was, there was nothing, I don't think it ran on toward in it. It was listed. So, uh, and uh, and Maria Daly, or Bailey, would have known about it as well. Mm. So perhaps, with hindsight, she, you must remember, Maria Bailey, when this happened, she was a county councillor. Uh, uh, she wasn't a minister of TD. Possibly, in hindsight, she should have come and said, listen, I have this case outstanding here. Uh, what should I do? Take some advice? Possibly. Whatever is entitled to take, uh, uh, if they feel that, that there's, a, there's an injury being done to them, they're entitled to know. The merits of this case doesn't, doesn't look like that there was any uh, uh, reason to take a claim. And I'm totally against the claims culture uh, uh, because I run the community centre here in Pantocla and their insurance has gone up nearly doubled in the last five years. Mm. We've never had a claim. You know, so it's, it's, it's this claim culture needs to be tackled by legislation. Mm. Uh, and is that the way you see it, Paddy Mead, uh, that there wasn't the grounds to make a, a claim to take a, a personal injury claim like this? Again, 
we only we only know uh, what we're reading in the media, and, mm. and to be honest, this shows why the media is probably so important, uh, you know, in addressing this issue. We have to be clear that if it wasn't for the attention the media is giving this insurance issue, it wouldn't be in the domain, and then it wouldn't go back from the public domain back into the doll. Um So it, it's hard to know, um, and I suppose that's why the report has been commissioned, uh, because the report should get to all the facts. Um, I suppose it's right in some way that the person who's doing the report would contact everyone, including Mm. the journalists, but I don't think in any way they could force journalists to hand over information. Um, I suppose myself as a parochial councillor, I don't write press releases to papers. I come in here, I talk Mm. to you, Mm -hmm. I talk in council meetings and journalists write down what I say. Uh, so I, I believe in a kind of a very open, transparent system. Yeah. But um, but Jerry O'Connor is right, isn't he? Uh, I mean, uh, it's either published or it's leaked. It, oh yeah. It'll be oh. published one way or another. Well, I assume our cabinet has to see it, and uh, from the way things look, <laughs> the cabinet sees it. Uh, mm. You have it the next, you know, nearly mm. before the meeting is over, uh, not even before the meeting has ended. Um, so yeah, I assume it, it'll have. To, it'd be it'd be it'd look better. Mm. The, the optics would look better if it was published, mm. instead of it being leaked. A lot of people have said uh, that the story was bad for Fine Gael in the local elections, was it? Um, I don't think so in Mead, that bad. You look in, in the district I live in, uh, we got 3,000 votes, we got 200 more or so than Fianna Fáil, we probably should have mm. got a third candidate elected, possibly we should have got three in in, uh, in Kells. Had, had, had that come to play, we'd have had 14 seats, Fianna Fáil would have had 10, okay. we'd be in control of the council. They the management maybe wasn't right. We came back with 12, Fianna Fáil came mm. back with 12. Fianna Fáil ends up controlling the council with the independence. Okay. It's sad, in, in a way, you know what? I, I well, we, we heard a little bit about that earlier on. Jerry O'Connor, do you th- think that it impacted on uh, the local election results? It didn't, well, it certainly didn't affect, it, it was an issue. It was it out was, there on yeah. Facebook. Mm-hmm. It was definitely an issue, and people were talking about it. And I'm involved in it because I'm a business, I run a business here, and mm-hmm. I'm just as interested in, in this be sorted out. Some of the factors of the multiples of, of what well, Paddy mentioned the figure there for, for a slip and trip uh, in, in a playground of 20 grand. I've, I've situations here, uh, I'm, I'm the, I was up to up to recently the, the rep from Mead on the Irish Public Bodies Insurance uh, Company, the nominee, and when I asked one of the claims guys there, like, you, you get a, you normally think of a claim against the council, somebody going into a pothole and damaging the tyre or damaging the wheel, yeah. And there, four or five hundred is what those claims are. But if somebody slips in a bit of footpath, you're talking between five and ten thousand. Okay. Uh, and, and that's different from, it's out of sync with the rest of Europe, and it's certainly out of sync with, with, uh, with the UK. And this, this tendency to settle, and I've seen another case in this morning's paper, is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it should go to court. Okay. Uh, the PIAB has to be given more teeth. Uh, a, needs to happen a, a lot of money involved in that claim over a hot drink uh, in the papers uh, yes. uh, this morning. Yeah. Yeah. All right, listen, we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you both indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Finnegal councillors Paddy Mead and Jerry O'Connor. Michael Reed on LMFM. Okay, we're going to talk about uh, the North-South Interconnector. This is Airgrid's proposal to overground pylons, uh, some 299 pylons, from uh, Cavan across Meath, Monaghan, and into Tyrone. Uh, this has been a most controversial project uh, for over the course of a decade. The Northeast Pylon Pressure Campaign says Airgrid's proposals are government policy, and uh, that uh, Fine Gael 
Candidates in elections should be punished in the ballot box for supporting these proposals, whether they say so or not. Let's talk about this now with Porrig O'Reilly, who's uh, the spokesperson for the North East Pylon Pressure Campaign, and Damien English, who's a Fine Gael TD for Mead West and Minister of State at the Department of Housing. Good morning to both of you and thanks uh, for joining us. Porrig O'Reilly, I hope I haven't misrepresented your position, have I? Uh, no, you haven't, Michael. That was that, that was clear. That is our position. Um, it's not a position we'd like to have because uh, for all of these big strategic infrastructure projects, uh, the decision always comes down to the government of the day. And if if uh, Fine Gael, as the major party, had been supporting this to be undergrounded, we would now be looking at undergrounding. Hmm. And um, you wanted it to be an election issue on uh, the 24th of May. You held a, a public meeting, as we were saying earlier on, so that it would become an election issue and at the time uh, the ministers didn't make themselves available to their local radio station to talk about it. No, and I guess it's not that we're trying to make it an election issue. We, we, it, it's, it's always been an issue for the last 12 years. Um, for eight of those 12 years, Fianna Gael have been um, in, in government. So the vast majority of the time that this project has been up for discussion, uh, has, has been on their watch. And I would say the easier uh, eight years of the 12, because in the early years we had to prove that undergrounding was feasible, etc. So, yes, we had a, a, a public meeting on the 14th of May. We wrote to all of the um, the Fine Gael TDs and councillors and uh, MEPs in, in plenty of time in advance, two to three weeks beforehand. Uh, they were invited uh, to the meetings, as they have been to all meetings we've ever done, and um, there was not a single TD turned up, not a single councillor, not a single MEP. Uh, not a single senator. Uh, and I know on your station you had uh, some discussion on this before the meeting and after the meeting, and nobody was available for those either. Okay, so we, we, we were not uh, surprised, but um, it just highlights the fact that the, the government have decided many years ago, in our view, to, to support Airgrid to the hilt on this. And no matter what Airgrid does or says, uh, that contradicts uh, the need for overhead lines, they're sticking by them. Okay, let's hear from the Minister. Can you explain to us, Damien English, why it seems to many of us uh, that you're here representing government on one hand and on the other hand you're washing your hands of government policy? Again, Michael, just to be very clear, and, and, and I want, first of all I want to say this is of a local concern. There's no doubt about that. I mean, in my parish, it's a massive issue with my neighbours, with my family, friends, everybody. It is an issue. And when when I said recently that it wasn't a local election issue, what I mean by that is the decision on this is not for local councillors. We all have concerns on it. We all have views on it. The TD minister, so do I. And even as late of yesterday at the local authority meeting in me County Council, they discussed this. And the officials made it clear that the members don't have a decision-making process in this. So that's what I said about it not being a local election, ele- election issue because it is a big issue. It's a big issue right across County Mead because nobody wants pylons. And I am the same as everybody it's else. It's a political so, so, party issue. Oh yeah, but so, so just again, Michael, so, so, so I mean, I'm like everybody else. Mm. I'm the same as NEPP in this. I would rather we didn't have pylons. Mm. And we've worked well together in very many years. Mm. Uh, difference of opinions are different ways in the last couple of years, but we worked very well together. I always acknowledge the great work they have done. And, and I want to say that first of all again on the record as well. I couldn't make the meeting. I didn't make the meeting, but again, we've had many discussions in this radio about me and mm. Porrick, me and you, Michael. I'm always happy to do that. When, when but they're empty it. words, Minister. Now, I mean, now, they again, seem okay, like empty words to, to people listening yeah. to us so now. Again, again, Porrick because you're a very important person. I wish I was. But uh, well, I, you are a very again, important person. Michael, you're a Minister I, yeah. of State. Yeah. Uh, and your party is in government. Yeah. Uh, your party can 
dictate what policy well, that, is that's the point. in that's relation where we to this. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where the difference of opinion comes to this. And uh, for a long number of years, and there's been different parties and governments over this project, it would have been started by a different government than Fine Gael government. And the, we, in, during my time as a TD, in my job as Minister, I've held the same view on this, even when I was in opposition and mm-hmm. not in government as I have now. And that's clearly there for the record. It's all in writing and yes. I can to anybody. So I am determined one way or the other that, we, that, that this, these will go on the ground. If we can prove it mm-hmm. that way, right? The decision-making body for the technology to be used and the method of construction is not the government. Now, I wish that we could click our fingers and we'll go on the ground, but that's not the way it is. Fat, I, I, my early work in government... Uh, after this had been started by somebody else, was working with Pat Rabbit to change the, dis- the, the detail, the description set out to uh, Ergrid. And they were told then in 2012 by a new government changing the rules of the game to say that they had to use the most up-to-date technologies that had to prove the most cost-effective and reliable. But again, Pat Rabbit was very clear. And I'm going to read the words from Pat mm. Rabbit because he produced a statement that day setting out the government does not direct infrastructure developers to particular sites, routes or technologies. Because it's not for me to pick where we build a new road. It's not for me to pick what technology we use. I don't tell a doctor which medicine to use. The, the state doesn't do that. As in, politicians don't do okay. that. There are state bodies set up for all these decision making okay. and in this case let, let Paragon so, Riley so, so come in for one, one moment sorry I'm going to finish mm-hmm. okay. in this case and I think Paragon understands this too it mightn't suit his argument doesn't, doesn't suit me either but this is the way it is Airgrid are the state body along with ESB networks the decision making of that then is on board Panola Mm. My okay. job as a TD was to make sure we level the playing field to get a fair crack at this whip. Because Let Park O'Reilly come in now, please, Minister, because I, no think, I, I think Park O'Reilly, you'd argue the point about the most up-to-date technologies and what is suitable and what's most cost-effective. But if you put that argument to one side for a moment, do you accept what the Minister says, that the government can't flick its fingers and direct air grid in terms of how to deliver this project? Absolutely not, Michael. And I think it's a very disingenuous statement uh, that that Damien is making and focusing on a statement that Minister uh, of the time, Pat Rabbit, made. You know, let's be very clear here. Airgrid is a state company. It's not a private company. It reports into the Minister for Communications, Climate Action Environment, which happens to be a Meadman, Minister Bruton, at the moment. Uh, At the time, it reported into to Pat Rabbit when he made that statement. But as Damien said, it's a statement. It's a political statement. It's washing their hands of the fact that they have the responsibility for policy in this area. And strategic infrastructure, as the name suggests, strategic infrastructure is policy related. And the government can today or any day decide that the policy for the future, as they've done with wind farms and everything else, will be undergrounding or will be overhead lines. Now, Airgrid from day one have stated that they were not going to look at undergrounding. The government at that time and the government today has total power and responsibility to change policy. Otherwise, why do we have ministers? Why do we have politicians uh, at all if they don't have the power to do that? Okay, minister. And and over the last number of years, uh, Michael, and I'm not personalising Mm. this at all, this is straightforward. At, at our Fine Gael ministers in the North East. One is, uh, has been as bad as the other on this. We have four ministers in the North East. We have a fifth minister who is the one responsible for uh, air grid reporting to Minister Bruton. I don't think at any other time in the history of the state for this area have we had so many ministers who have an ability to affect policy and change it if they want to. And whenever there were votes in terms of challenging air grid, 
on looking at undergrounding. In 2015, Fianna Fáil had a motion. Damien voted against it and okay. in favour of Airgrid. Okay. In 2017, when, when, when Fianna Fáil went again with, with the, the international independence study, it was watered down and Airgrid were, were, were always allowed to be the uh, the poacher and the gamekeeper. So any independent analysis mm. was, was never I, allowed I, to be done I, without I think, Airgrid. I think president. you could extend that argument to say that the government is, is ignoring uh, the wishes of the doll at the moment but yeah. that the, let, let, let the minister respond minister again Michael there's a couple of issues there and for some reason Park seems to keep wanting praise and Fianna Fáil and that's grand it's up to him he's made this issue politically well the right. last two motions there was a doll motion and a Shannon yeah. motion and I, vo- and I was part of both debates Michael mm. and what they asked and for, you voted in favour against them uh, that so. we would have two more studies mm. into this which were published in September 18 and were recommended to go into the committee I'm not on that but committee but not in line with the motion I changed the motion and I added to the motion and I had meetings with Dennis Nocton on this as well at the Minister of the Day mm. and Richard Bruton since that to add in that we would make sure to look at similar projects across the world as well because again I've said 12 years ago mm. that we had to win this on proving that it was the it was the norm to go on the ground it was cost effective and it was the best mm. available technology now Fianna Fáil have very clearly said that the government did not act in the spirit of the motion. That's what Porrick O'Reilly has said. Absolutely not. It was watered down to be of of no value. And can I just say one point that's very important? Sorry, sorry, Porrick, nobody can be heard at the moment. Just let the Minister respond there because you're suggesting it's a political point. I was mentioning what the motion was, which was a Fianna Fáil motion. Their motion was voted in favour of by the majority of politicians in both houses and they said that the government did not act in the spirit of the motion. Well, that's that's what they are saying. I'm yes. telling you what happened was, and what my job as a TD, I've always said, how can I best help secure this project and get it on the ground? I would rather it didn't go over ground. And I've said before, if I thought not being a member of government would solve that, that's what I would do. But it won't solve it. I have said it 12 years ago when I was in opposition that the only way we could do this was to responsibly take this on and prove that undergrounding was the best option. And in my view, working with NEPP and myself as my mm. TD, we have this project has been delayed many, many years because it was put through the hoops. At the start of this, a Fianna Fáil Green government told Airgrid to go ahead and do this. Mm. We stopped that uh, as a Fianna Fáil government said, no, let's look at this properly. You have to look at all the technologies. Because I share... But you bought the pylons there, have you? Sorry. No, no, we don't, Michael. Nothing's happened with pylons yet. The procurement mm. process has not started to buy the pylons. Okay. Because this Michael, is still, can I come in here? Sorry, because no, this no, is a lot of nonsense, really. Sorry, Michael. This is still One second, in Patrick. the planning mm-hmm. process, still in the courts in the north. So it can't go ahead as it stands. And then there's also Brexit coming to this as well. So there's a lot of hurdles here yet. But okay. one thing, I would agree with Park on this, and we've always agreed on this. From the very start of this, 12 years ago, Airgrid had one aim which was to go overhead mm. and I am on record of going to import all that directly myself and saying that is not acceptable as a state body okay. that they had to investigate this so we put let, let O'Reilly come in there and the procurement process yet. for the pylons should have begun by now should it not Porrig O'Reilly? Well, this is the interesting thing. When when that independent study that Damien is talking about was going on, there was an agreement that Airgrid would not do anything until the study was produced. And lo and behold, Minister Nocton signs off on a procurement process for Airgrid to go ahead and procure the, the pylons, even when there was not approval in that's Northern not, Ireland. That's not true. And not only that, that. when the report uh, uh, was being asked by many uh, opposition TDs as to when it would be available through the whole of 2018, it turns out that Minister Nocton and gave it to Airgrid six months before the public got it. There has not been a word, not a whisper from any 
Fine Gael TD in the North East for the last three or four years on any of these issues that have come up. Airgrid have breached planning application, uh, planning approval in Leash Kilkenny. And if I could focus in on, on bringing it all forward to now, uh, Michael, because this thing about uh, Deming saying we need to prove undergrounding is, is feasible, really, really annoys the public that are listening in, and rightly so, because undergrounding has been proved to be feasible. It's proved to be cost-effective and doable. And the only reason overhead is going ahead is because Damien and his cohorts are supporting Airgrid. Now, two critical things came out at the end of 2018, which we asked Fianna Gael ministers in the North East specifically to call Airgrid in on. And there are two very critical things. The first one was that their own annual report was a total U-turn on the previous 10 years in relation to Northern Ireland, that there now will be a, a surplus of electricity in Northern Ireland for the next 10 years, for as long as they can foresee, unlike what they've been saying for the last 10 years, that there's a deficit. You know, and this actually has issues wider than, than a U-turn because there's possibilities of being in contempt of court here because they've used these arguments in, in courts in Northern Ireland, in the Republic, and at the oral hearings. And the second thing, Michael, that okay, came out the in, in, in that have report, moved somewhat in that sense. the second thing that came out in that report, I can just say, is the cost of overhead lines has been totally changed to being the same level as undergrounding. Okay. Because what did Airgrid Minister, do? Minister, you're shaking your head. a substation in the Northern Ireland substation. And okay. we asked our Fine Gael ministers. Parik, I'm going to go back to the minister because the ta- yeah. talk is getting the better of us. Minister, Sorry, but no. just, no, Mike, just we just asked our Fine Gael minister North East to call in Airgrid to account on these things and not a word, not, nothing okay. back. So minister. they're being let run amok and they're doing nothing in Mi- relation okay. to Okay, l- let the minister respond, please. Okay, and a couple of things, Michael, I wanted to just put on the record. First of all, uh, a PQ was answered by Richard Bruton to That's bring clarity to the procurement measures in February in the, of this year. A question in the doll. Que- sorry, yeah. a question in the doll was asked um, and Richard Bruton clarified that the procurement has not gone ahead for the purchase of pylons or construction of pylons because it can't until the legal and planning process are finished in the northern part of Ireland which have not happened yet. So it is, it is untrue to say that. Number no, two. That sorry, Park, I didn't see you. Okay, no, we have to accept what the minister says there. Okay, that's it's, a, that's it's, it's, it's on record in the doll, Park. And, and again, Park, I've had numerous meetings with Richard Bruton on this and every other minister. So, and, I, and again, you've asked more questions today. But it's also on record in the doll from, from Minister Nocton that he has gone ahead with the okay, project. So we don't accept but, that. But, the but, but needs to be corrected. subsequent to that, the, the, the sitting minister has said, we don't have the record in front of us, but. Minister English has told us that the current minister, Richard Bruton, has said that it is yeah, not. OK, gone. to help me, I would quote Richard Bruton. And okay. a PQ, we don't tell lies on the record in the doll because mm. we're not allowed. Don't tell lies anyway. However, no critical procurement, no critical procurement contracts such as construction can be concluded until the legal proceedings in Ireland and planning issues in Northern Ireland are resolved. That's clear. Now, again, Porrick makes continually makes the acquisition that as a Fine Gael member, I'm doing nothing on this. And I've said nothing in three or four years. That, again, is untrue. Sure, I'm on public record. There are numerous occasions on this programme, through the Mead Chronicle, individual in clinics and in the Dáil, about this issue. And I consistently meet the Minister on this probably week after week. And Dennis Norton would know, literally every week I raise this with him. I think what, what should happen, by the way, I don't know why it hasn't happened, and I'm not on that committee, why the committee haven't analysed reports since last September. Again, Michael, or Porrick keeps praising other parties, they're on the, those committees. I wish they would bring in these reports and have them scrutinised and have this debate here. But number number three here, 
Power consistently wants to go political. That's fine with him. But we actually want the same result here. I would like this to go on the ground. The final, the, the decisions in relation to costs and what's U-turns and so on, the regulator, uh, the commission regulator, who's very strict on Airgrid, has not said that. And he has said that this project is still vital. But he has flagged that depending on Brexit negotiations and the trading arrangements thereafter, there, there'll be questions about this project after that. But he is watching that on behalf of the state. He's independent of politics because Park mightn't like this and it doesn't suit all of us because we don't want pylons. But the decisions around the types of infrastructure and the final decisions are made independent of politics because that's the way this country runs as a democracy. Any decisions okay. in medicine, education... We'll have to leave our the, listeners the, the nits to make and up their own minds time politics. has run out on us, unfortunately, this morning. Thank you both for joining us here, though uh, that is Minister of State Damien English, who is a Fine Gael TD in Mead West and also on uh, the line with us uh, this morning, Porrig O'Reilly, spokesperson for the North East Pile and Pressure Campaign Group. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Time now, as, you, as usual, around this time on Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with uh, those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navin Station joins us for the report this week and we begin in Drogheda with a robbery. That's right. Good morning, Michael. On Sunday the 30th of June, approximately 8.30am at the Centre Shop in Hardman's Gardens in Drogheda, Gardaí were informed that a man had entered the shop and asked an employee for the contents of the till. And she refused to give him the money and when she did this he produced a large carving knife. Now luckily at that point the manager arrived and told the man to leave, which he did, and he fled the scene on foot. Thankfully there were no injuries but the employee was in fear during this ordeal and in the end there was no actual damage or property taken. So Gardaí are looking for our listeners' help this morning. Was anyone in the vicinity of the centre shop at Hardman's Gardens in Drogheda at approximately 8.30am on Sunday morning? Perhaps you're out for an early walk or were just passing the area and noticed something unusual. The Gardaí in Drogheda are investigating this and would appreciate any help. Okay, we uh, stay in Drogheda, uh, a mugging of sorts. Uh, I take it a theft from a person. Yes, on Wednesday the 26th of June at approximately 12.30pm at the bus station in Denor, on the Denor Road in Drada, An elderly lady was approached by two men in their early 20s. Now we have a brief description of what they were wearing. The first one had a sleeveless bomber jacket, blue jeans and white runners. And the second guy was wearing a green top and blue jeans. And they asked her to help them with the vending machine, which she did. And when they left, she discovered her card holder missing from her bag. I believe this happened while she was dis- distracted by the men. So there are a couple of things just to take from this incident. Firstly, to be aware of your surroundings and who is standing or waiting close to you in a queue or a line. And also to keep your personal goods close to you and to make sure handbags are zipped or closed and don't have an open bag on your shoulder or wallets or phones are visible. So in this particular incident, which was distressing for the lady involved, the Gardaí are asking for the public's help, especially anyone who's in or around the bus station, on Wednesday the 26th of June, around 12 to 12.30pm, to please contact Drogheda Garda Station with any information. Okay, we go to Dunboyne. Some unusually good news. Property found, and I'm sure you're looking for the rightful owner. Yes, uh, again, Wednesday the 26th of June, at Pace Roundabout in Dunboyne at around 8.30am, there was a silver hard shell tool case with tools in it found and handed in to Dunboyne Garda Station. The person who handed it in saw it fall from out of the back of a van. He didn't manage to get a registration of this vehicle, so if anyone listening this morning is missing tools or knows of anyone missing tools fitting this description, to contact the Guardian Dunboyne. 
and also there's further information on this on the Meath Crime Prevention Facebook page. A couple of burglaries to report on this week, uh, the first of them in Blackrock. Yes, in Blackrock on Wednesday last, the 26th of June, between 3.30 and 4.30am at Blackrock Leisure on Main Street in Blackrock. A burglary was reported by an employee. When she opened up that morning, she discovered that a cash box had been broken into and various casino machines had been damaged. Now, through CCTV, we can see three males accessing the building and cutting off the electricity. One of them was wearing an all-grey tracksuit. The next was wearing grey Adidas tracksuit bottoms and a navy top. The third guy was wearing all-dark clothing and all three wore balaclavas. So the Guardian Dundalk are looking for the public's assistance with this investigation. If anyone was in the area of Main Street, Black Rock, in the early hours of Wednesday morning last and saw anyone fitting these descriptions or saw, saw anything unusual, to please make contact with the investigating Guardian at Dundalk Station. Uh, another burglary, this one in Enfield. Yes, in the early hours of last Tuesday morning at approximately 4am, Walker's chemist in Posickstown, Enfield, was broken into. Gardy received a call that two males had broken a pane of glass in the front of the premises and gained entry to the pharmacy, and a sum of money was taken. They left in a navy saloon-type car and left in the direction of Kilcock. So if anyone uh, was on the road between Posickstown Enfield and Kilcock around 4am on Tuesday morning last and noticed a car fitting this description to contact the Guardian Trim who are investigating this. And no matter how small or insignificant you think the information is, the Guardian would be most grateful. Absolutely. And we'll conclude in Drogheda this week with uh, some items stolen from a car. That's right. Last Tuesday, which was this day last week, at approximately 3.30pm, the injured party in this incident reported that his van had been broken into and two items were stolen. The first item was a DeWalt table saw and the second item was a Bosch chop saw. And this occurred in the car park at Scotch Hall Shopping Centre in Drogheda. This is generally a busy shopping time, so there would would have been a number of people around at the time, which was 3.30pm. And any information, the Guardian Drada would be most grateful. And also just to remind listeners to be aware of items or tools for sale at low price, just to ensure that they're not stolen. Mm, indeed, uh, they're looking for tools and will steal them and will sell them if uh, they can get their hands on them, uh, as we quite often hear. Thank you indeed, Garda Fiona Kerr of Navan Garda Station. Uh, and uh, we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. That's where we leave you for today, though, because our time has run out on us once again. Remember, before we go, that there'll be a podcast of our programme today on our website, lmfm.ie, later this afternoon. Thanks to Maggie McGuire and Ross Leahy for researching and Chris Murray in the control term. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.